listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. So today's message is going to begin in Malachi 3, of course. Uh, Malachi 3, verse 6. And then it's going to end in 2 Chronicles 31, verse 2. So for the nerds in the house, which I know you're here, uh, if you want to be prepared, put a mark in 2 Chronicles 31. It's going to take us some time to get there, but well, that's where we're going to end up landing. So when I was thinking about this message and about tithing and giving, you know, one of the things I couldn't help think about was as, we were, as I was growing up, and I'm sure as many, as you, many of you, we, we were exposed to lots of drills and tests, right? And so, uh, so some of those drills are, are, are meant to help keep us safe, and, and they test us to make sure that we're, we're good in an emergency, some of us went through fire drills, extreme weather drills, that kind of thing. Um, but there's one in particular uh, that I remember growing up, and you still hear it sometimes today. And so I wanted to share that with you and see if you guys have heard this as well. How many have heard that before? It's actually a lot longer than that, but I didn't want to expose you guys to the whole 30 seconds. And the reason why I remember that is because it's so stark and it's so loud when it's played on the radio. And I don't know if you're like me, but I just turn the radio. I just go to another station and then I'll come back. And so the thing that I love about that, though, is that it actually announces, this is a test, right? So you know, everything after that, it's, it's not real, but we need to be listening and be prepared. And so I started thinking about life and how we go through tests in life and how great it would be if we would hear, this is only a test, and then go through it. But we don't hear that. And most of the time, we don't even know we've been through the test until after we've gone through it. And most of the time, if you pass it, you don't even maybe even realize it was a test. It's when we fail and we have to retake it. And so if life would do that for us, I think it would make it so much easier. But I think God set it up so that we would trust on him in those tests and that we can learn from those mistakes and go back. And if we need to take them over again, that's fine. And so the, you know, if life were to come at us and say, you know, this is a test. If, they, if life came up to us and said, are you ready for the test? Most of us would say, what test? Because we don't know ahead of time usually when it's about our, if it's about our integrity, if it's about honesty, whatever it is. And so that's the title of the message today, what test? So when I think about the types of tests we have in life, you know, one of the most important ones we go through is we're tested in all of our relationships. We're tested in our marriage, we're tested in our friendships, we're tested on the, on the job with, with people we work with, but we're also tested in our relationship with the Lord. Our faith is tested, um, we question things and that's okay and I think God's okay with that. He's fine with us questioning as long as we're leaning on him and coming to him for the answers. And so one of the things that, that we don't really see as a test, at least I didn't until recently, was um, in the way that, that, that we handle money, right? And so how many, real quick, quick survey, how many people get paid once a week? Once a week, OK? 
Okay, not many. What about every other week or twice a month? That's most of us. And then what about just once a month? Okay, great. And if you were like me, I was a consultant and self-employed, how many just kind of get paychecks whenever the job's done and you get commissions? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a faith walk, right? <laughs> so regardless of how often we get paid, every single time we get paid, no matter when we get paid, it's a test. And there's really two parts to that test. The first part is, who are we going to thank for our income? And then the second part of the test is, who are we going to worship with our spending? So when we think about thanking, it's real easy as believers to say, oh, of course I thank God. He's the source. But it's really in our spending that really proves if we thank God and what we're worshiping. Some of us worship our homes. Some of us worship cars. I know growing up, I, I had a bunch of friends. I couldn't afford it, but I had friends that would put 15-inch woofers and tweeters and all these other things and sound in the cars and, and rims. And if it was a car, they'd lower it and put these real shiny rims. If it was a truck, they'd raise it up and make it like a monster truck. They spent thousands of dollars on their car. And there's nothing wrong with hobbies. There's nothing wrong with liking cars and homes and those things. But when it actually came before everything else in their life, that's when it becomes a problem. And so how do we know what, you know, kind of what the test really is? It's real simple, and it's really in the form of a question. Every time we get paid, we just have to ask ourselves, where does the first fruits of our paycheck go? Where does the first fruits go? And so whether it's your homes or your vehicles or whether it's MasterCard or Visa, whoever it is that we're paying first, none of them have the ability to bless and protect you and your finances except God. He's the only one. So that brings us to Malachi 3, verse 6. I am the Lord, I do not change. That's key right there. I do not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? Should people cheat God? Now this word cheat also means rob. Should people cheat or rob God? Yet you have cheated and robbed me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat or rob you? You have cheated and robbed me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Not due to the church, not due to the pastors, not due to the ministries, due to God do to me. So what's the consequence of cheating or robbing God? I'm glad you asked. Let's keep reading. Verse 9, you are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating and robbing me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple, the church. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. There's exclamation points there. What he's saying is, bring it. Test me. Bring the tithe. Test me and see what I will do. This is the only place in scripture that God says, test me. And it's over money. So what's the benefit of testing him? What's in it for me, God, if I test you in this? Verse 11. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe says the Lord of heaven's armies, then all nations will call you blessed for your land 
will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So remember, prior to just a few hundred years ago, a huge majority of the world's economy was agricultural, right? So when you see crops and land, your crops will be abundant. What he's saying is, is the source that God has put in the earth to provide for us is a, is a, is a job, right? Is, is service, is doing things, is working. So back in these days, it was crops. So the ground was what God used to produce fruit so that I can then take that fruit, harvest it, and now I can barter and trade and sell and buy, right? So he's saying is that your crops will be abundant. In today's language, that means your job, the thing that you do will be abundant. If you test me in this, I will show you. And so the benefit of testing God is that we get blessings and protection over our finances. Unlike the bank, MasterCard, Visa, our homes, cars, they can't bless us and protect us the way God can. So why is God so passionate about this? Why is he like exclamation points, like test me? Why is he so passionate? Well, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. About 400 years from then is gonna be Christ. And then you have about a few thousand years before that where God has watched his children. I really think this is a father's plea to a child. This is really a father seeing for thousands of years this pattern that all believers had gone through. And I call it the believe and leave pattern. We believe, things go great, things are working for us, and then we get a little cocky and we kind of slip away and next thing you know, we're doing it on our own strength. And we're saying, I got this, God. You've gifted me, I'm talented, thank you for that, but I got this, I can do this, I'm good. And then things fall apart and then we come running back to God, we believe again, we thank him, everything's great, and then we somehow leave again. And you can see this all throughout scripture. It started in the garden, and it went all the way through 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Judges. If you read all of that, you're going to see that they believed God and did what was right in his eyes, but then they did what was right in their own eyes. And how did that work out for them? I think all of us can, can, can uh, relate to that in some form or fashion. And so... This believe and leave pattern, I, I really believe God was like saying, okay, my son's about to come in 400 years. I need to set this thing straight for them so that when he gets here, they understand it's not about the money, it's about the heart. It's all about the heart. And so one of the things that, 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 that I think frustrates God as well is that the people for centuries had gone away from his ordinances. Now the word ordinances is a tricky word because it sounds legal, we got city ordinances and county and state and federal ordinances, but it really means a principle of ordinary behavior, right? Just an, it's ordinary behavior. It's ordinary behavior for us as parents to teach our kids to not run into a busy street, right? As they're running, I would have no problem if I heard a parent scream out, hey, stop! And then their child's out, because it's for their safety. So ordinary behavior, things that we, that we pass on to our kids, we hold each other accountable uh, in this country, uh, in the way we drive and how we park and how we treat people out in public. The ordinary behavior, it's not extraordinary. We just do it every single day. And so even before the law, this predates the law, y'all, it was ordinary for people to thank God for their income. It was just ordinary. It was ordinary for people to worship him with their first fruits. It was just natural to them. In fact, if you didn't, you would probably looked out weird. It was ordinary. It was ordinary for his people to know, without a doubt, he was the source of that fruit that came out of the ground. We can plant the seed, we can water it, but other than that, we have no control if it's gonna grow or not. It's in God's hands. So here's the bottom line. What, Ma what, what God is saying in, in Malachi is if you tithe, you're blessed, and if you don't, you're cursed. We have no problem with the blessing side. 
The problem is with the curse. And, my, and I really think what, what's happened in that is we don't really understand what the definition of the curse is. We think the curse is like some Harry Potter thing and God has got a wand and if you don't tithe, he's going to strike you a spell on you and now I got to break the spell. It has nothing to do with that. That's Hollywood. A curse means, it's, in its simplicity, it means the consequences of behavior. That's it. You're under the consequences of your own behavior. That's all a curse really means. And so if you look at Genesis chapter 3, this is where it all kind of starts. The serpent deceives Eve, Adam disobeys God, the blame game begins, and then God lays out the consequences of their behavior and the decisions they made. And in, and in, uh, and in so it's chapter 3, so in verse 14 is where he proclaims uh, that the serpent is cursed. And then in the next verse, he talks to Eve that she will be in, child, uh, in childbirth, she will be in pain. Do I have a witness, ladies? Is it still painful? It, it is, right? And then so in verse 17, this is where he talks to Adam. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat it. So he'll still eat. He'll still be provided for, but it's going to be tough. Um, Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made? So the ground is cursed. Adam wasn't cursed. The people aren't cursed. So that's really what he's saying when he's saying that you're under a curse What he's saying is you're under the consequences of your own choice, your own behavior to not acknowledge me first. That's all he's saying. And so the beautiful thing about this is that when we're struggling, sometimes we have to think like, okay, what is this? Well, really, you're struggling to scratch a living. You're going to scratch a living if you don't put God first. You're going to have to work until you sweat. That's how, so some of us for years have been through a pattern of, again, believe and leave. But when we leave, all that really is is saying that we're under the curse of our own strength. We're doing this without God. And so the good news, there is good news. How many like good news, right? We love good news. The good news is, is that he's redeemed us from the curse, but he needs our cooperation. What he really wants is for us to return to ordinary behavior of tithing and bringing offerings. So God could have easily put this dialogue in Malachi in the Gospels. He could have easily done that. He could have even had Jesus say it, right? The reason why I think he didn't was because if he would have put it in in the Gospels, if it would have been Jesus talking in red letters, I really think we would tithe out of compulsion and really not out of a pure heart. We would do it just because Jesus said to do it, right? But he puts it in Malachi right before Christ is coming. He leaves it there which brings us uh, to our first point, that tithing is a test. God intended this to be a test. Not a test of money, a test of our hearts. Are we gonna believe his word? And so every time we get paid, it's a simple question. Will we believe God's word? Will we believe his word? That's really the question we have to ask ourselves. Because think about it, all he asks is one penny out of every dime. One dime out of every dollar, one dollar out of every 10, 10 out of every 100, and so on. And the reason why I love that he did that was because it makes it equal for all of us. Whether you make $3,000 a year, $30,000 a year, $300,000 a year, or $3 million a year, it's still one penny out of every dime. And so the number 10 in the Bible represents testing. 
So of course God's going to use 10. He could have used 15% or 20% or 5%, but he specifically used 10 because he wanted us to know that this was going to be a test. And so there's other examples of testing in the Bible using the number 10. There was 10 plagues in Egypt, which was the testing of Pharaoh's heart. There was 10 commandments uh, testing Israel's heart. 10 times Jacob's wages were changed by Laban, testing his commitment and his word to stay there uh, on the job. 10 days Daniel's faith was tested in Babylon. And then another example is 10 virgins were tested in Matthew 25, which was testing their preparation where they prepared for the coming of their, of their groom, the, uh, the, the coming of Christ. And so here's two common excuses that people use when it comes to tithing. The first one is, well, look, I'm Holy Spirit filled, I'm blood bought, I'm, I, I am no longer under a curse. And in fact, Stephen, I have scripture that shows that Christ bore the curse for me. So there's no way, I get that you've talked about this curse thing and it's my behavior, but I am not under a curse. Galatians 3.13 says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Boom! I'm redeemed from the curse. Well, let's go a little further into scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, he personally carried, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. So he bore our sins on the cross too, right? Well, when we got saved, did we stop sinning? Of course not. Well, I got another one. Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah who said, he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. Well, it's, it's scripture, it's right here. He, he took our sicknesses, he bore our sicknesses on the cross too, our sins and our sicknesses. When we got saved, did we stop getting sick? No. We're in a fallen world. We're still under a world system and it's our choice to stay under that world system or to come up under God's protection. And even in that, we still don't know all the reasons why sickness and other things happen, and that's okay. Because all of it, a curse, a sickness, sin, all of it is really intended to point us right back to Christ. That's all, that's all it's there for. And so I love that that, 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 that anyone who has an excuse that says that, that I'm out from under the curse, yes, we are redeemed, but he still needs our cooperation to be redeemed from it while we're here on earth. The second excuse is tithing was under the law, I'm under grace. That's Old Testament, I'm New Testament, I'm all about grace. Well, my question would be, if something was right under the law, does that mean that it's no longer right under grace? Conversely, if it was wrong under the law, does that mean it's now right under grace? Thou shalt not murder. Can we murder today? Well, thou shalt not murder is law. Of course we can't. What about adultery? That's law. Anyone here think they can go out and commit adultery and not have any consequences for that? No, of course not. And you can go right through the, the Ten Commandments and see that same pattern. Now, it's important to understand, this is, this is probably the most important thing about this part, the righteousness, the righteousness of grace always exceeds the righteousness of the law. The righteousness of grace always exceeds the righteousness of the law. So what does that mean? Well, the law says don't murder. Jesus says, don't even be angry with your brother or sister in your heart. Higher standard. The law says, don't commit adultery. Jesus says, don't even look at someone lustfully in your heart. So, he, so in, under the law, I had to physically strike someone or commit adultery to be in sin. Well, grace comes and raises the standard and says, no, if it's just in your heart, it's the same thing. 
He's after the root what's in our heart because if, for me to be able to physically strike someone down, there has to be some rage and some anger and some bitterness in my heart that leads to that action. So Jesus is saying, I'm raising the standard so I can get deeper into the heart. Beautiful thing. So for anyone who says, I don't tithe because I'm no under the law, I'm no longer under the law, but I'm under grace, I'm like, Phew, that's awesome. So you must give 15 or 20% because the righteousness of grace is a higher standard. So we'll thank you for that. So, all right, so point number two, tithing is biblical. So point number one, tithing, uh, tithing is a test. Point number two, tithing is biblical. So here's some examples. This is just gonna be a lot of Bible, which is really good. It's better than me. Genesis 14, verse 18. Uh, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God most high, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abraham, uh, Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth, a tithe of all the goods he had, he had recovered. This is 500 years before the law. So tithing isn't a law grace issue. This is before the law. Genesis 4, verse 3. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the, to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel in his gift, but he did not accept Cain in his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. 2,500 years before the law. In fact, this isn't long after the, the, the ground was cursed, right? So it's amazing to me, I had never really seen this before, that Cain and Abel was all about money. How many family members have gotten into it over money? It, it started way back in the garden, uh, or post-garden, but way back in the beginning. Genesis 28, 22. And this memorial I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, God's house, the church, and I will present to, I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. A tenth of everything. Not just some, Everything. Jacob, 400 years before the law. So you got 500 years before the law with Abraham, 2,500 years Cain and Abel, 400 years Jacob. And if, and if you just look in this Genesis, back in Genesis 4, the reason why Cain was rejected because he just brought some. He just brought whatever. I'm just gonna bring, I, I paid all my bills and now I got a little scratch left over so I'm gonna just bring that in. And it was rejected. And we'll see why in a little bit. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. One-tenth of the produce of all the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belong to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Deuteronomy 26.1, when you entered the land, the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession and you have conquered it and settled there, put some of the first produce, some of the produce, first produce, from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to a designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Today, that's the local church. So tithing is all throughout scripture. It's ordinary behavior in the kingdom of God. It's ordinary, it's not extraordinary. It shouldn't be a hard thing. And it all predates the law. So let me ask you this. If Jesus himself actually said, you ought to tithe in red letters. Like if he actually said, you should tithe. Yes, you should tithe. For anyone who's struggling with this or who, who has struggled with this, would that change your mind? Maybe. If we're honest, some of us would probably still struggle. But that's an argument that a lot of people give is that that's Old Testament, you don't see it in the New. Well, Matthew 23, 23, 
very easy to remember, 23:23 says this. What sorrow, this is Jesus talking. So if you're in your Bible, it should be read. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, is what Jesus says. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, justice, mercy, and faith, which is caring for people. Caring for people is more important than tithing. You should tithe, yes, but if you're tithing and you don't care about people like the Pharisees were doing, that's a part in your heart God wants to heal as well. We can't pay our way uh, into God's grace and into his love. He are, we're already in his grace and his love. And so if you're paying tithes with the wrong motive, he's, he's, he really is saying, I don't even really want it. I'd rather you treat people right and tithe, but do both. Do both and do both well. So Hebrews chapter seven is a total recount of the experience that Abraham had with Melchizedek. Remember, 500 years before the law. And it actually compares Abraham to us as believers and Melchizedek to Jesus. And this is New Testament stuff right here, Hebrews chapter seven. It's a picture of us giving to Christ. So Hebrews 7, 8 says, the priests who collect the tithes are men who die, but Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told that he lives on. Well, Melchizedek is a, is a type and shadow of Christ. He didn't have a beginning or an end. Uh, j- just like Jesus, he's still living. So he's a picture of Christ. So the New King James Version says it like this. Here on earth, mortal men receive the tithes, but there in heaven, he receives them, capital H, of whom it is witness that he lives. So Hebrews is telling us that I put my tithe in the box or I pay online or on the app. A mortal man receives it, gathers it, accounts for it, but it's God, it's Jesus who's actually receiving it. And so we have to trust that God, first of all, we have to trust that God is going to move on your hearts to give, right, to support the church. But then we also have to trust that God is going to move on the hearts of the people, the men who are, and the women who are receiving it to steward it the right way. It's not our job to wonder, oh my gosh, are they going to spend it right? Because we're not, necess- we're not giving it to men, we're giving it to God. And it'll be counted us as righteousness. And so protection, so, so when he receives the tithe, if God is truly receiving the tithe, this is, where he's, this is why he's saying test me. He's saying because if you do that, if you test me in this, the proof is, the, is, is actually my protection and my blessing over your finances. That's the proof that I will bless your crops. The protection of my finances is proof that we live in a different economy. Kingdom economy is different than world economy. The world says go make and keep the kingdom says, receive and give, right? There's a big difference between that, and that's contrary to what people believe. And let me tell you, it works, y'all. Liesl and I, before I came on board at the church, uh, were making great money. And when I decided to take the job, we knew that we were gonna take about a 40% decrease in salary to come work for the church. And it was tough, but you know, we, we prayed about it, we had peace with it, and, and, and she'll attest in the 18 months that I've been here making 40% less, we have more today at the end of a paycheck at the end of the month than we did when we were making 40% more. He protects and blesses our finances when we're faithful to give back to him. He's faithful. So tithing is a test. Tithing is biblical. Point three is tithing is a blessing. One person who understands that tithing is a blessing is King Hezekiah. So the background of this 
is that this is, this is 2 Chronicles 31. So for those of you that put the mark, we're finally there. Hezekiah restored the temple a few chapters earlier. He invites the nation to Passover. He continues to implement religious reforms that were all scripturally based. And this whole time he was seeking God with his whole heart. He had such a passion and such a desire to return the whole nation to God that he started putting these things back in place. His country was under economic recession. Anyone been there? His whole country, the whole nation was in economic turmoil. And he believed after he started reading the scriptures again that it was because the people had forgotten. They'd gone away from the ordinary behavior of bringing tithes and offerings into the temple. And so Hezekiah knew that the whole land was under a curse and he wanted to turn that thing around. So 2 Chronicles 31.2, Hezekiah then organized the priests and Levites into divisions to offer the burnt offerings and peace offerings and to worship and give thanks and praise to the Lord at the gates of the temple. The king also made a personal contribution. He led by example. We Look, we have a senior pastor that leads by example. Tim is not only a tither, he is an extravagant giver extravagant giver so don't think that if you bring your tithes to this church or, or, or sow an offering that it's that it's going to a senior pastor that's going to be frivolous uh, or wasteful in his spending he is a giver and so this is what I love about Hezekiah he also made a personal contribution of animals for the daily morning evening burnt offerings the weekly sabbath festivals the monthly new moon festivals and the annual festivals as prescribed in the law of the lord verse four In addition, he required the people in Jerusalem to bring a portion of their goods to the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves fully to the law of the Lord. When the people of Israel heard these requirements, they responded generously by bringing the first share of their grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all the produce in the fields. Not some, not the the last, not the leftovers, the first. They brought a large quantity, a tithe of all they produced, The people who had moved to Judah from Israel and the people of Judah themselves brought in the tithes of their cattle, sheep, and goats and a tithe of the things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God and they piled them up in great heaps. They began piling them up in late spring and the heaps continued to grow until early autumn. They gave generously from spring to early fall about June to October, about five months. So let me just say this. When we bought this building in October of last year, there were givers in our church that were just like this that brought the first. They responded generously. You responded generously so that we could pay for these lights, so we could pay for the carpet, so we could pay for the paint, so that we could put this place back in order so that we could worship God together in a clean and healthy environment. We were able to move from business offices over to here and save $5,000 a month because now we had a place that we could actually office out of and that was because of the faithful, generous giving of you that's exactly what happened here and so when we look at uh, verse 8 when hezekiah and his officials came and saw these huge piles they thanked the lord and his people israel what i love about that is the leader of course he thanked god but he thanked the people he thanked you thank you for your giving thank you for moving uh, the uh, uh, being obedient to the way god moved on your heart where did all this come from verse 9 Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites, and Azariah the high priest from the family of Zadok replied, since the people began bringing their gifts to the Lord's temple, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare. The Lord has blessed his people, and all of this is left over. 
He put the command out for people to get back to the ordinary behavior, and seven months later, they go from a national economic recession to heaps in the temple. And this is only 10%. He moved on the hearts of the people, and an entire recession was broke. Think about what the 90% looked like back in their homes. It's unbelievable. So remember in Malachi 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, it said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. Well, they were talking about physical food, but today we're talking about spiritual food, right? So when you come to church, you're being fed spiritual food, the word of God. And so Malachi said to bring, uh, to bring those into the storehouse. God is saying, bring it into the local church so that there's food. And so when we come to church, that spiritual food is in the form of word. So let me ask you a question. Do, for those of you who've been here more than once, do you feel like that you get good food at Embassy City Church? Yeah. Right? Amen. Let's praise God for the food that's delivered here. It's mostly Tim, but he, he prays about people to come in here who have the same heart that we do as a church and that could deliver food in a way that's inspiring and edifying and, 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 and actually creates disciples when you leave here that you're prepared for the week. And so it's not just Sunday services, it's classes, it's trainings, it's group gatherings, it's, it's all kinds of things, and somebody has to pay the bill. Somebody's paying for that food to be delivered. So let me ask you another question. Would you go to a, church, or go to a, a restaurant with your family, have a wonderful meal, fellowship, get the bill, and end up walking out without paying? Of course not. But the, the, the sad truth is, there's people in here today, and in every single church in America, maybe even around the world, that come, have a great meal, fellowship, and walk out saying, someone else will pay that bill. Are we, is it okay to talk like this? We're family, right? But that's the reality, and that's really why God is saying, this is actually supposed to be ordinary behavior, not extraordinary. And so there's two um, testimonies that you hear from tithers and non-tithers. And, the, and tithers will say, I'm blessed. <laughs> I'm blessed. Doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. Doesn't mean that we sometimes don't get overextended or make, you know, do some things that we have to then get right. But for the most part, we're blessed. Non-tithers, you know, most of the time you'll hear is, I can't afford to tithe. Well, duh, think about it. The reason why you can't afford to tithe is because you're out under the curse of the ground. You're having to work so hard. Everything's going there first. You can't afford to tithe until you tithe. If you really think about it, you'll never be able to afford it working with the sweat of your brow and doing everything in your own strength outside of God's covering. It's almost impossible. And so this message isn't about money. It, look, we're fine, y'all. This isn't about, we're not, we're not taking up an offering after this message. <laughs> we're not passing the plate. We're not gonna form the $1,000 line, the $500 line, and the $200 line. We're not gonna do that. This message is about you and your heart, me and my heart, and really understanding what God's heart is behind it. And so I'll end with this. So let's just say God called me out to the mission fields for a year. And I had to leave my wife and two boys. But then I got three men who I could trust. And I said, Richard, I'm gonna give you $10,000 a month. Will you give 1,000 of that to my wife while I'm gone? Rory, I'm gonna give you $10,000 a month. Will you give $1,000 a month to my wife and my kids to take care of them? And then I go, Otis, I'm gonna give you $10,000 a month. 
will you give $1,000 to my wife and my kids while I'm gone? And then a few months go by and I call home. Hey, honey, how's it going? It's been about four months. I can't wait to see you guys you know, at the end of this year. So how's, how's it going? How's Richard, Rory, and Otis doing? She goes, well, Richard, he's given me $1,000 a month from the beginning. It's great. Well, what about Rory? Man, Rory's giving me 2000 I don't know why, but he's giving me 2000 I'm like, that's awesome. Well, what about Otis? Well, the first month, Otis gave me 800 <laughs> Sorry, Otis. <laughs> the second month, Otis gave me 400 And the third month, Otis didn't give me anything. I don't know what happened to Otis, but he sure is enjoying that ten grand a month. <laughs> Well, here's the point. If you go back and read the parable of the talents, that's the parable, right? And what would I do as a loving husband to these three men who were taking care of my bride? What would I do to the one who stopped blessing? You think I'd keep sending the 10 grand? I'd stop sending the 10 grand and I'd go ahead and give it to either Richard or Rory or split it between them because they can be trusted to take care of my bride. I don't think we really understand how personal Jesus sees tithing. He left to go prepare a place for his bride, the local church. And if we are going to receive a paycheck every single week, every single two weeks, twice a month, whatever it is, and we're not willing to give that one penny out of every dime, to his bride to take care of it while he's gone then that's something you're going to have to work out between you and God this isn't about money this is about a heart that God has for us to get back to ordinary behavior that he instituted all the way back in Genesis this has nothing to do with law versus grace Old Testament New Testament God is the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New tithing is a test Tithing is biblical. And tithing is a blessing. It was never intended for us to struggle in this area. It never was. Will you bow your heads? Close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.